guys are here for the first Sunday of a brand new teaching series called The Cross, Discover the Mysteries. Would you just high-five the person next to you and tell them, you made it for week one. You made it for week one. Oh, man. I don't know about you, but people like to be at the beginning of new things, right? Am I right about this? Like, few people like to jump into the middle of things. So you're here for week one. You get to journey with us. I'm so excited. Uh, God's going to do some great stuff through this series. Uh, you think you know the cross, but, man, you're getting ready to have your mind blown on, on the cross. And you're going to have your heart stretched and have your passion for God grow uh, as we look at the cross. Hey, before we get into all of this, uh, you guys all know, right, we are one church in Right, so five people understand it at Kearney. <laughs> Everybody in North Platte gets it, Ogallala Online. We have one church in multiple locations. And what that means is right now, we are broadcasting live to our North Platte campus. We're broadcasting live to even our Ogallala campus and online. And our heart has been that, God, we would be willing to plant more campuses if you were to open the doors. We are not the kind of people that feel like we're the, like, we've got the answer, everyone else is wrong, and we just go kick doors down, you know? I mean, that's not it, because I almost pulled a muscle just doing that, I think, <laughs> right? And my wife was like, I'm so glad he didn't fall down. I'm not that old. All right. But uh, we've been praying, you know, we just keep praying, like, God, show us what you want to do. And so for a number of months now, we've been uh, talking to, building relationships with uh, a church in Holdridge, the Holdridge Assembly of God Church called North Park. And we've been on a, quite a long journey with them. And we've gotten to the point where, you know, I had met with their pastor multiple times. Uh, we've got 50 to 60 family units that live in the Holdridge area that if we were to plant a campus down there might join us to do that. And so we were just kind of looking at it, talking with the pastor, met with their, their board, their church board, cast the vision to them, met with their, um, their voting membership, and cast the vision to them, and their body voted last Sunday, okay, last Sunday, right after their services, their body voted uh, to merge with New Life Church, and that the Holdridge North Park Assembly of God uh, would then in the future become a New Life campus. So what that means now is that, that the ball kind of gets kicked back to our court, and in our March uh, members meeting, those who are actually partners and members with us, they will vote then to receive that, and then starting on April 1st, then we would become uh, one church in multiple locations including Holdridge, where we, we would then start looking for a campus pastor to fill that slot um, at, at the Holdridge campus. And so, guys, I'm just telling you, uh, this year, the year of 2024, we're going to be launching a new campus. It's going to be in Holdridge. Our targeted date is the end of September to do a reset and a relaunch there and to bring this, bring a campus uh, to the Holdridge area and come alongside a church that is somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 people right now and blend in our people and then just see what God can do in reaching more people for Jesus and lives being changed. So that's exciting right there. Amen? Come on. All right. 
All right. Well, that's the whole service, so thanks for coming. <laughs> Just joking. Somebody's like, we get to leave now? Like, oh, man, let's take him up on that word. All right. Let's get out of here. No. Uh, okay, so that's what I wanted to let you know. Uh, talking about the cross, though, like, where did this whole series idea start from? I'm just going to say it, I'm going to say it this way, that as I look around our society and I look into America, I see the cross everywhere. I see the cross hanging on necklaces, on earrings. I see the cross being tattooed on our body. Uh, I see the cross on t-shirts and hats. I, I see the cross hanging from, you know, people's rear view mirrors. Right? I, I see the cross in people's offices and on their walls and um, at their home. And there's crosses everywhere. They're all over the place. And as I started to think about this, I was like, there's so many crosses. Why aren't we living what the cross stands for? They're every, it's everywhere. And, and the unfortunate thing is that you'll see, you'll see somebody, even on TV, they'll be wearing a cross, but yet that character is committing adultery. Or in real life, they're wearing a cross, but their life doesn't look anything like the, what the cross stands for. And so what has happened in, in the world in which we live in is that we've lost the true meaning of the cross. We've lost the essence of the cross. Right? We've lost the awe of the cross, the wonder of the cross. We've, we've lost the mystery of the cross in our own, in our own lives. And it is no longer impacting most of our world like it once used to. And I just wanted the people I love the most, right, here at New Life Church, I wanted the people I love the most to know the truth. And I wanted us to pull the veil back for a moment and to dive in and say, what does it really mean? Because even amongst Christians, we've lost the wonder and the awe of the cross. So to help us understand, like, how important this actually is, well, we sent our own campus pastor, Pastor Robert, out onto the streets in Kearney, Nebraska, to UNK to interview a few students to discover what, what does the cross mean to you? Take a look. What do you mean? The cross? Oh, the... Mm -hmm. Faith or a backup plan? In case, like, you're having a problem and you need something to rely on? Well, it's pretty important to me. Uh, I'm getting it on my forehead on w next Wednesday, so I'm pretty excited. Well, for me, it's the sacrifice of Jesus. It means a lot to uh, my, me and my, more like my uh, dad's side of the family. Really important to my grandma and, like, her religion, so. To me, the cross means family. I went to a really small church growing up and it was a close group of people and we supported each other in a lot of different ways. So it means family to me. Uh, the cross to me is, is the, uh, the place where Jesus died and, and he won our, won our salvation. And yeah, I just love the cross. Personally, it's uh, kind of like a sign of protection. Like if it's there, I feel it's safer. You know, I have one in my room and in my truck. And also it means, oh, it's a big question. Regardless of my beliefs, it's something that protects me from really bad things, especially when I make bad decisions in haunted locations. It's like a vampire movie or something like that. 
Is it a silver cross, a silver bullet? I don't know. Which one? A wooden stake? Which one kills him? I don't know. I don't remember. So obviously, uh, that's just a small sampling. Uh, they were not out there very long, but it's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about people that even grew up in the church that didn't even identify the cross as the, as the centerpiece of Christianity. And I'm, I think that that's probably the case if I were to interview our congregation or multiple different campuses, I would probably get a lot of different answers. Some would say it's a good luck charm. Others would say it's just a fashion statement, right? But wearing the cross is not changing our lives. And knowing that there is a cross doesn't seem like it's changing our lives the way that God intended for it to change our lives. And I think the reason for that is that Satan has diluted the power of the cross, right? I mean, the, the, think of it this way. The, the cross is Satan's greatest defeat and God's greatest victory. The cross is Satan's greatest defeat and God's greatest victory. And what is Satan wanting to do with his greatest defeat? He's wanting it just to become another symbol of Christianity and for it to lose its power and for it to lose its authority. Throughout this whole series, what you're going to see me attempt to do is to bring the cross back and become, let the, let the cross become the centerpiece of Christianity again. That's what you're going to see me do. You're going to see me keep bringing the cross back and making it the centerpiece of Christianity. And for that to happen, then we have to come back to this place where there is an awe of the cross again. Because without the awe of the cross, then we can never honor God. Right? We, we also have to come back to this place where we recognize the sacrifice of the cross. Because without the sacrifice of the cross beating deep into the core of your being, then it's impossible for you to truly surrender and to sacrifice your life at the foot of the cross. So there's the awe of the cross, then there is the recognition of the sacrifice of the cross, and then this other element that you're gonna see me kind of weaving in all the time is the embracing of the cross. And when I talk about the embracing of the cross, what I'm, what I'm talking about is this idea of understanding that there is a cost to following Jesus. A cost to following Jesus. See, back in the early church, when the early church told people about Jesus, they also told them, if I can just say it this way, they also told them about the lions. Meaning they, they told them that there was a persecution for those who would follow Jesus. In today's church, in America, we don't have the persecution, so then therefore we're embracing the cross without truly understanding the price of the cross. In the early church, the early church used to like go, okay, who wants to follow Jesus? I want to follow Jesus. Then they would baptize them in water out in public as a public declaration to all of the community that I am now changing my entire religion, my entire focus, and I am focusing on Jesus being the Lord and the Savior of mankind. And that became a line in the sand where there was a lot of persecution that followed that, <clears throat> and there was even like a denouncing in families. But persecution at certain points of the early church was so intense that they actually also called it a blood baptism. That following Christ could lead to a baptism in blood. And in fact, there was early arguments in the early church 
of if a person was truly saved, if they said they were going to follow Jesus, and when they pronounced they were going to follow Jesus, then they got stoned in the streets, and they died. And they were wondering, well, the person never got baptized in water. What, what's going to happen to this person? And they came to the conclusion that it was fine, it was okay, that they pronounced Jesus as leader and Lord, and then there was the baptism in blood. We don't understand the baptism of blood. We don't, we don't get that right now. But in this series, we're going to be diving into those things. To really truly understand that there is the awe of the cross, that there is a sacrifice about the cross, and that there is a cost that is associated with the cross for all of those who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. So the theme verse for us, if we have a theme verse for this whole series, is found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Just kind of read it along with me because it starts, it starts with exactly what I'm talking about. My, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The whole journey of a Christian is bringing piece by piece back to the cross and letting it be nailed there. That the old self is being nailed to the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but when you surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe if someone even told you this, you would have thought, I nailed everything to the cross at that moment. Well, no, you, you really only nailed what you knew that you could nail to the cross. And that the journey of the follower of Jesus Christ is recognizing that there are more and more pieces of my life that God wants nailed to the cross. And let me tell you, the, the travesty of American Christianity is that very little is being nailed to the cross. But we're wanting all of the blessings that came from the cross. And you can't have it both ways. You want the blessings that come from the cross? then you have to be nailed to the cross. Meaning your heart, your soul, your mind, your thoughts, your actions, your beliefs, your behaviors, our habits, our desires, piece by piece. And that's what I love about God. God, God goes, look, my son went to the cross and he gave 100%. But when I'm looking at your life, remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the metamorphic change that God does in our lives? God does it what? One degree at a time. God does it one element of my life at a time. And he goes, will you nail it to the cross? See, unless the cross then becomes the centerpiece of your faith, I don't think anybody truly understands what Paul was talking about when he goes, I've been crucified with Christ. My old self no longer lives anymore. Until the cross truly becomes the centerpiece, this just is crazy talk. It's nonsense. It doesn't make sense to anybody. And the reason why, you know, crucifying myself at the cross, my old self dying at the cross makes no sense the reason why it makes no sense is because the cross is such a contradiction. It's such a contradiction. I mean, think of it this way. I, I just put down a whole list of things that when you look at the cross, you see this contradiction going on, and it, it makes it hard for some people to really wrap their head and their heart around making the cross the centerpiece of Christianity, a place where my old self can be crucified. Think of these contradictions. The cross is both death and life. That's simple. 
But the cross is both hate and love. They hated him. But yet it was the most amazing act of love. It was a place of violence. But yet it, is a, it brought peace. It's a place of accusation. But yet it offers forgiveness. It's a place where sinners went. But yet it's a place that now offers purity. It's a place that there was brokenness, but now there's wholeness. It seemed like everything was lost at the cross, yet everything was gained at the cross. Destruction happened there, but yet restoration happened there. Seemingly there was defeat, but yet there was victory. It was the cruelest form of execution that the world had ever seen. And now it's become the symbol for abundant life. What contradiction lies in the cross? To some, it is foolish. And it makes no sense whatsoever. But to others, it is the power of God. It's a contradiction. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. When God says this, it says that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we, we who are being saved, know it is the what? It is the very power of God. The cross has a contradiction to it. It's a divider to some who see it from the aspect of death and hate and violence and sin and brokenness and destruction and defeat. It, the cross is foolishness. For those who are being saved, and look at how it says that. There's a process of salvation. We're working out our salvation as we are on this earth, piece by piece, degree by degree. But as we are processing through this life of salvation before God, it is the very power of God. The cross becomes the power of God. Now, I, I get it. Like When I think of the power of God, my mind doesn't instantly go to the cross. I don't know what your mind goes to. What does your mind go to when you think of the power of God? When I think of the power of God, I go to the universe. And I go, man, alive, look at this place. I mean, science is trying to figure out the universe. They can't even find the edges of it yet. And it seems like the more they discover, the more they realize we don't know anything. Right? It's like, well, we think we know something until we saw that in the telescope, and that blew all that stuff out of the water. We thought we knew this until we discovered that, and then we're like, oh, man, now we're wrong. we got to go back to the drawing board again. Like, I think of the power of God. I think about creation. I think about the universe. God says, whoa, stop a moment. You want to truly know my power? God says, look at the cross. That's what he said in that scripture. Look at the cross. That's where you'll find the true power of God at work. What kind of power do you find at the cross? You find the power to be united with God. You find the power for sin to be forgiven at the cross. You, you find the power to sustain you until Jesus returns all through the cross. And, and can I just say this to you? That that power that's found at the cross to unite you with God to cleanse you of your sins, 
and to sustain you until Jesus returns is a greater power than anything you can find in a telescope looking into outer space. That's the greatest power of the cross at work, and that's why I I, I present to you this idea that the cross has to be the centerpiece of your Christianity. I want you to think about a few things when we talk about the mysteries of the cross, right? Just think about this. Like, the, the cross is, is a beautiful example of where heaven met earth. When you look at the major religions of the world, Christianity is the only major religion of the world where God comes to man. All other religions, it's like man is trying to become a God in one shape, fashion, or form. But then Christianity, Christianity, God comes to man. And you see this beautifully wrapped up in the cross. Think about a cross like buried in the ground, right? When you think of a cross buried in the ground, there are three points of that cross. There are a vertical piece that's pointing straight up into the heavens. That's the tip. And then there's the horizontal piece that has both tips on the right and the left. There's three tips to that. Isn't that interesting? To me, that's like fascinating. Here's the reason why. When we look at God, we see God in the form of a trinity. God, one God in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, just, I don't think that's by coincidence. In fact, you don't find that in any other form of public execution. If Jesus showed up today, he gets... He gets burned in an electric chair or he gets you know, laid on a table and some kind of fluid fills his veins and he is gone. In other times, it may have been a firing line. It may have been a noose. You don't find those three points in anything else. I just find that very, very interesting. The other thing you find in the cross is that it's made up of two pieces. One, the vertical piece, pointing straight towards heaven as if it's defining the deity of God himself. And then the horizontal piece, that is the reflection of man. And when you look at Jesus, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus was fully what? Fully God and fully man. And when you look at where the cross sits and where those two pieces, the God, the God element and man's element, and they cross together, what do you see? You see the intersection of where heaven met earth, where God came to be among us. What a beautiful picture. I pray you never look at the cross the same way ever again. So the cross, it unveils all kinds of mysteries to us. All kinds of mysteries to us. I want you to think about this, about the cross. I I think when you look at the cross, you see the, the full cycle of sin at work. Track with me on this. You start out in the Bible, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And what what creates sin? in the hearts of mankind, right? If you're thinking back, think back with me. What created sin in the hearts of mankind? There was a tree that stood and it had a fruit on it and it was the tree of knowledge and God said, look, you can eat of all these other trees but not this one. It is the tree that is of good and evil. And he was like, don't touch that tree. So what does Satan do? Satan kind of distracts and distorts the truth, and it gets Adam and Eve to eat from the tree. And they take this piece of fruit, and they take it off of the tree, 
And then they eat it, and sin starts its course in the hearts of man. And then the penalty of sin now lives in the heart of man all the way until our Savior hangs on a tree and he destroys the penalty of sin. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's an accident that he's hanging on the wood from a tree. And it was the very wood of a tree that we picked from the fruit that started sin, and it was the very sinless one who hung on the tree, that because he hung on there, that now the penalty of sin can be broken. Look what Galatians 3.13 has to say about it. It says, but Christ has rescued us from what? The curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, our sin. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. But guys, it's without the cross. Without the cross, it's impossible for our sins to have ever been forgiven. The mysteries of the cross. Like why a cross? I think all of these little pieces are all kind of coming together. You put all these pieces together and you're starting to discover why a cross. So the cross has to become the centerpiece of our Christianity. And guys, I just think this, like we should never forget. We should never forget the, the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. Never forget it. One day as Jesus and his disciples were out praying, Jesus is knowing that the time is very short. And they come and they arrest him. And they take him away to a mock trial. And in declaring him guilty, falsely, then they begin to flog him. You've seen pictures. They put a bag over your head or they just all out just just beat you with a rod or a stick and then they whip him they whip him and they rip flesh right off of him as the as the whip tears into his flesh into his back and as it pulls away it just pulling pieces of skin with it and as it wraps around him and goes to the front and they pull it back and it just rips skin and he's a bloody pulp and if that's not enough then they take then they take the cross member of the cross, not the vertical piece, the cross member of the cross, and then they tie him to it, and then they make him walk up to the hill of the skull, the hill of Golgotha. And as he's going, his hands are tied, and as he stumbles and he falls, he has nothing to catch himself with. He's face-planting into stones in the street, People are spitting on him, yelling at him, throwing rocks at him, and they get him up to the cross, and then Jesus lays on the cross as they hold one hand and they drive a stake right through his wrist, right between those two bones, just so that he can't rip out of it. Not here so it rips out through some fingers, but right through that wrist, and right through the other wrist, and then they they put his two feet, and they put his feet on top of each other, and they drive a large stake through both feet right into the wood. And he's laying on the ground, if that's not painful enough. And then, and then these soldiers lift up the cross, and they keep lifting it up. And they keep until the bottom of it slides into the hole that's in the ground. And as it slides into the hole, his body 
yanks on those very nails that are holding him there. And then they continue to mock him. As he's bleeding, nailed, he's trying to get his breath. And your body gets weak, and your muscles fatigue, and, and you start to hang. And the only way that you can really fill your lungs with the amount of air you need to survive is you have to pull yourself up on the nails or push yourself up on the nails to get another breath while you continue to hang. And it was torturous, and the Romans loved it because they made sure that everybody that saw these criminals hanging on these crosses up on this hill would go, let's never oppose the Romans. Like, these guys are ruthless. And it would go on for hours. Many times they would lose interest in it all, and they would come along with a big club, and they would just break the legs of the criminal so that the criminal had no way to push up to get breath. Because you see, the way that you die on the cross is through suffocation. As you can no longer hold yourself up and you, and you cut off your own airwaves. And the only way you can get another breath is... <gasps> but you have to pull on those nails to get that. That's where our Savior, that's where he gave his last, was on that cross. They may have said he went there as a criminal. But he went there willfully. Hebrews chapter 2, or chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Look at the reason. Look how Jesus went to the cross. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. The joy. That joy must be intense to overcome everything I just told you. That joy must be something that you and me have maybe never tasted of before to overcome what I just told you. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Criminal. Now he's seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Think, watch this, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Watch, it's a promise. Then you won't become weary and give up in your own faith. Jesus endured the cross, focused on the joy awaiting him. What was it? It was the joy of being united with his father again. Jesus went to the cross, my friends, first and foremost, out of obedience to his father. That was his mission. And he knew it was his mission. And he knew that his mission would bring great joy to the father. And he knew that his mission would seat him against his father one more time in the throne of heaven. And now with great joy, Jesus is waiting to come back for you and me. It was the joy awaiting him, the embrace of the Father. Well done, son. That was the joy. The obedience to the Father. Can I just say this to you today? Are we living for that, with that kind of joy awaiting us? Are we living with the joy in our heart of going, I'm living just to please God, even though there's suffering and pain now? Because that's what our Savior did. And then in verse 3, 
He goes, look, think of the pain, think of the suffering, think of the scorn that Jesus went through for you and for me. And if you do those things, as often as you think of it, it's going to fuel you and you won't become weary and give up. It's important that the cross is not just a symbol, that the cross truly has its power because through the power of the cross, we maintain our strength in our faith. That through the power of the cross, we're reminded that we are worth something. That through the power of the cross, we have purpose and we have life again. Through, through the power of the cross, I have strength to live one more day. So guys, we got to come back to the awe of the cross in our life. We have to come back to the gratitude of the cross in our life. If you don't have a cross around you this week, go find a cross. Go, go find a cross. I mean, stick it on your desk. Put it in your kitchen. Put it on your nightstand. Hang it from your, your rearview mirror. And throughout this series, get a cross around you. And be reminded of the power of the cross. And be reminded of the sacrifice so that our lives can be lived to bring God glory. Get a cross around you and let the cross fill you with hope. And let the cross encourage you again. And never, ever forget that Jesus hung on the cross for you. He hung on the cross so that you and me might be with him one day in eternity. If the power of the cross truly lives inside of our hearts. So I leave you with these last words from our Savior. Who gave his life for us on the cross. My final words to you today. Jesus' words, John 15, 13. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down. one's friends that's who you are friends father thank you thank you for the cross it's foolish to some, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Thank you that you gave your life and that you call us friends. And it truly is the representation of no greater love, no greater love. So Lord, may we be reminded on a daily basis throughout the series that the scorn and the shame and the pain and the scoffing that you endured on that cross was for us to be reminded so that we might live our very best life. So as we look at the cross, may it not just be a wooden symbol or a piece of jewelry or a tattoo or something that's on a hat or fashion statement, but may we look at it for what it really is, 
the greatest sign of love this world has ever seen. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.